Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Amen. Thank you, John. Uh, before I, I get started and get rolling, <clears throat> I said this in the last service. Uh, well, what I didn't say in the last service is this. If you smell an inordinate amount of Axe body spray, welcome to D-Now. But, so I love student ministry. I've, got, I've been able to do it. Student ministry, now I'm a teaching pastor, but for the last 16 years, and in fact, 10 years ago, I served in Noonan, Georgia for about four, and that's how I got to know John Oliver. <clears throat> and I wanted to, one, <clears throat> thank Adam for opening up his pulpit that he's responsible for. That's an honor to get to speak in anybody's church, and I appreciate that. And I, I want to let you know something. I've had the chance to work and travel around the country. Part of our ministry is working with pastors, um, and I've done that for years <clears throat> all over America. And I can tell you, not because he's a friend, but you have a top shelf student pastor here that I can't find a better one in the country. And he loves you. I also talk with John weekly and I hear everything about Adam. And what I hear and what I know of Adam even from this weekend is that Adam's a top shelf pastor too. And God has brought them here to love you. So, I'm excited to get going. There's a couple quick things about me. Students, you can tell them this, but I'm gonna ask you periodically as we talk, are you with me? And the response is gonna be? I'm with you, Ian. I need you to participate. If something's great, say amen. If something's terrible, email John about it later. But really, I just need you to be excited with me. So can you be excited? That's what I'm talking about. All right, I love God's word. And I love what we talked about this weekend. In fact, the, the main verse for this weekend was Ephesians 2.10. But I would be doing it a disservice if I didn't say Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And so I'm gonna walk you through at minimal depth, though I still think it's important because I want you to connect with scripture, what we have walked students through this week. I'm gonna refresh students if you weren't taking notes. And... I'm gonna give you something that, that I believe is powerful because it's God's word. So in the words of the princess bride, let me explain. No, wait, there's too much. Let me sum up. Okay, so that's what we're gonna work through today. Um, in, in, sorry, Ephesians. And as I'm talking about Ephesians, I want you to roll your finger to the book of Jonah and stick your finger in Jonah and hold it there. And so in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, there is a progression here of what our salvation should look like and the fruit that it should yield. That you were saved by grace through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before the foundation of time for us to do. Here's the picture. We are very good at coming to Jesus and saying, I can't do anything on my own. I want your salvation. I'll trust in you. And then it sometimes just stops right there. And then we begin to say, well, I know that I can't boast of my previous works, but can I start like doing, I'll do my own thing. I'll make Jesus happy. I'll do, I'll do everything and I'll impress him. And that's not the plan of salvation. In fact, at the end of verse nine, we have the explanation for why 10 exists. 
That before you were ever even conceived, thought about, before anybody knew that you'd exist, God laid before you works to do. Why? Because you couldn't boast in your works before Jesus, nor can you boast in them after. You can only boast and trust in a God who has laid a road for you to walk on. Now, that's challenging because we can spend an entire lifetime trying to do our own thing and make it our, our own way and waste the life that God has given us. Rather than being sensitive to the spirit he has blessed us with and walking in the paths of righteousness he has laid for us. And as we talked about that as the theme, one person came to mind, and I'm a little bit selfish because it's my favorite book in the Bible. I love the book of Jonah. Jonah is truth in my life that I tell you, if you can't be an example, be a cautionary tale. And Jonah fits that perception. And so Jonah is not only my favorite book, but I might be dating myself to be either too old or too young for you, but I was about 13, 12 or 13 when the VeggieTales Jonah movie came out. And since I grew up with it, I wanted to watch it. And I remember watching it to the end and going, it did not end that way. And I got in my Bible and to my surprise, it did end that way. And I was like, God, I think you forgot something here. Like you didn't end the book. And we'll explain that. But it started me on a path of understanding that if Jonah wasn't inspired by God, it is still literary treasure. But that literary treasure God has inspired for us has layers of meaning that should convict us. And so when I asked the question to our students in the first night, what do you know of the book of Jonah? I got a lot of responses, um, but there were just two really. It was everybody saying the same two. Well, and Nineveh. And I was quick to say, there is no whale, there's a great fish. Boom, right? We dropped it. You didn't even know what you thought you knew. But big fish, the big fish is mentioned in two verses of a larger book. Jonah is wonderful for this reason. Jonah is a whiny, childish, obstinate person who is hateful and bitter. And yet, he is used by God to do the greatest revival in the history of humanity. He is proof that God can use me. And he's an invitation for God to use you. And so Jonah teaches as many things not to do, but we have to understand him in his context. Are you with me? That's right. So if we are going to make God's word matter to us and make God's calling matter to us, we got to understand a few things. The very first thing is this. Let's talk about who we're dealing with. Jonah was a prophet. Being a prophet's a lot like being a pastor. Um, if you're wrong, you got stoned. If you're right, nobody likes you because you tell them what's wrong with them, right? This is the problem prophets found themselves in. But Jonah, Jonah's a prophet and he's a faithful one. We find in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25, he's discussed that he was faithful, that he spoke against an unfaithful group of people. And yet, Jonah's a little suspect because Amos, Amos overturns one of Jonah's prophecies. So we're kind of ambiguous here on Jonah's character. He's a little sus, all right? So I don't know about Jonah. I don't know what to think about him. But I know that he is not stoned, nor has he been really wrong, though overturned. Jonah is a difficult person to pin down. But we know this. He was a faithful prophet who listened to God and heard from God. So in Jonah chapter one, verses one through three, we are going to go like fire hose, okay? So just get ready. <clears throat> Buckle up, buttercup. So chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise or get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Here's the first thing that I want to tell you, and this is the first point that we made for students. It's a key point to kick off the entire weekend, is that your life matters to God apart from your performance, never because of it. The reason that we see this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and what we need to pay attention to here with Jonah is that God does not drop or choose Jonah based on his disobedience. He chooses Jonah before it. Most of us struggle to feel like we are worthy of God, and let me just take the burden off. You're not, and you don't have to be, and you cannot be, and God loves and pursues and chooses you first. The reason we can make things matter to us that matter to God is because we matter to God before any of it, never because of it. You live from the acceptance of a savior, not for it. And that's a blessing. And so Jonah gets ready to go. Jonah, we hear a couple of significant things here. One, the word of the Lord came to him. I think that we take for granted that this side of the covenant with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us, that Jesus brought the helper from John 14, and that we can hear, that we can walk in these paths of righteousness because we can be sensitive to hear his spirit. But not so in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we know through Hebrews and across the board in the Bible that the spirit of God would come to certain men in certain times and that he would speak through them. And so Jonah shows up and God speaks to him, but he speaks to him in a specific place, the temple in Jerusalem. That's where the glory of God and the presence of God was manifest. Though God is everywhere, he was manifest there. I want you to keep that in mind. But Jonah was not an idiot. Jonah was a faithful and powerful dude. And so he comes and he hears from God and God gave him a word. That's a big deal. But then he calls him to a place called Nineveh. The one other thing most of us know about this book. And he calls him to Nineveh. Let me give you a quick rundown of what Nineveh's like. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. It is the, it's the, comparable to a superpower at this point. It's 120,000 people strong. It's a walled city. It's massive. But let's listen to the character of the people. And by the way, this was the first time in all of prophetic history God ever called a prophet to go to somebody other than Israel to proclaim judgment so that they would repent. God is fulfilling the covenant in Genesis 15 that he would bring his word to all people. And Jonah doesn't want to have it. But what's interesting here is here are the Ninevites. The Ninevites would dismember, they would do live dismemberments of their enemies. When they conquered somebody, they would take them and they would cut off all of their limbs except for their head and their right hand so they could shake the hand of the person they had just dismembered. They did this on mass scales. They did what was called the parade of heads. They required friends to carry the heads of their friends on poles, on pikes. They would skin people alive, stretch out their skin, and hang it from the walls of their city as a trophy of the people that they had conquered and taken care of. They commissioned paintings of post-battle torture and showed piles of heads and hands and feet along with impaled heads on spikes, eight heads high. They were a wicked, evil, and violent people. There's not a whole lot of God and Yahweh in this group of people. And Jonah, Jonah isn't having it. And God wants to reach out and convict Israel's most wicked and cruel and powerful enemy. And Jonah decides God's making a bad decision and he walks on by. And here's the first thing that we see. Choosing what matters to God will cost us our comfort because joy and fulfillment only come through obedience. If you want to be used of God, you need to be ready to not be comfortable. How many of you, when your child comes to him and goes, I want to be really good at sports, you go, then just sit on the couch and eat potato chips. Ian does it, do it. 
Comfort does not seem to lead to change. Amen? Are you with me? There it is. Here's what we also know, is that refusing to choose what matters to God is a choice to stop growing. Here's what Jonah knows. God punishes evil people, he rewards good people, nothing in between. And when God throws him a curveball and it swings around and God changes his perception because last I heard, God's ways are not my ways and what he does are not, his thoughts are not my thoughts. Jonah says, I don't want none of this, you're making a mistake and he runs as fast as he can. In fact, the reason it says he fleed God's presence, he wasn't stupid, he'd read Psalm 139, he knew God was omnipotent present. Jonah wanted to get as far away from the one place that God's presence and word is manifest as he could. He wanted to get as far away from where he heard God as possible. So he went to the farthest known place away from Israel. And my question to us right now is that how many of us, when we hear God's conviction and God is calling us to do more or calling us to do better, we run from the farthest, the farthest place we can from where we hear God. We don't want to listen to our spouse. We don't want to listen to a pastor. We don't want to come and be with God's people because God is calling us to something that we don't want to do. Even if we know it's for our benefit, we don't want to live it. Jonah's not so different from you and me, at least me. And so to give you a quick breakdown of what this would be like, Afghanistan just became the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. Imagine John being called by God to walk into Kabul and to raise his hand and say, in 40 days, God's about to burn this place down. Repent. <laughs> no, he does that. It's difficult. It's scary. I'm not telling you it's easy. But God calls Jonah to do this. And here's the truth, that choosing what matters to him, to God, requires us to trust God instead of trying to be him. How many of us just try and be God day in and day out? It's not what we're designed to do and we will be crushed under the weight of that. Now, it's interesting. As Jonah continues to go in verses one through three, there's, we, we see that he flees and tries to get as far away as possible. Here's what I think we need to understand in the next few verses. That our choices may make us feel distant from God, but thankfully we will never outrun him. You see, the distance we feel from God is a distance that we perceive, never a distance that is true. God doesn't let Jonah run. When Jonah runs, God lovingly and faithfully pursues him. This is just like Romans 5, 8, and 9, that God demonstrates his love for us. How? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he would pursue us to this earth. God pursues Jonah as he walks. And so it also is not just a comforting thing to know that, but the scary part is because we see that Jonah goes down into the bottom hold of the ship. He goes down as far as possible and falls asleep. He's not even caring when a storm comes. And it says that uh, the truth of this is that the more we choose to run from God, the less we will call out to him. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and disobedience is disobedience. And the more that we run from God, the less we will call out to him, not because God isn't faithful, but because the posture of our heart is turned from him. And that's not what God wants for you. That's not what is best for you. Now, in verses 7 through 16, I'll, I'm going to summarize for us and break this down because I think this is hilarious. It is quite possibly the most discouraging game of Yahtzee ever played on a boat. That they, they go down, and it's funny, that Gentile man comes down, who's one of the sailors, and he says, get up. He says the exact same words that God says in chapter one. And he says, get up and come to the top of the boat. We got to figure out what's happening. Why are you sleeping? We're about to die. 
And Jonah's like, I just wanted to get five more you know, minutes to sleep, right? And he does it. He comes back up. They play Yahtzee or something similar to it, casting lots, and they figure out Jonah's to blame. And as soon as he's to blame, they say, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what your job is. And Jonah just breaks down. And he goes, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, I, I, I'm a prophet and I serve the God who made all of this and he's come to get me and he's about to kill us all because of me. What's interesting to me, because the sailors are blown away, is that when we refuse to follow God and to listen to God, the unbelievers around you, they see the disconnect whether you do or not. These sailors are blown away that what he says is true of his life and what he's doing are not the same thing. This prophet of God who knows better is running and God is chasing him. I would tell you that Jonah is one of the biggest, biggest people to take advantage of God's grace that we see in scripture to help us understand how much we do that as well. And yet when Jonah surrenders his witness and he says, I am this person I've done wrong, God not only speaks through the Gentiles, some of you need to know, God can speak through the lost in your life and the broken situations probably more than he speaks to the people that you're sitting next to. God is speaking and calling and pursuing and he wants to hear from you and there is no avenue he cannot use and will not use. He speaks through his spirit and he spoke through a sailor and at this point, Jonah, when he breaks down, teaches us that choosing what is powerful to God is infinitely powerful in his hands no matter the circumstances. Some of you feel like you have dug a hole too deep. You cannot go anywhere from there and I'm telling you right now, God took Jonah in his worst moment to this point. And he changed the lives and converted sailors who weren't even Jewish to worship him. God can do great things if we will just turn to him and not feel crushed under that weight. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, one of my favorite quotes, that one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. It would take the burden off of us and it would be easy for you. Just one act. We'll take a break for two years. Let's be obedient people because God speaks through our obedience He's not as concerned with our words. God wants to see you use and be honest and to reach out. Here's the, the other main thing that we see. God is most clearly seen through us when we are most honest about the struggles in us. You have nothing to hide because the only person that matters is the one who can see through you. And those that cannot see you need to see what is broken in you so that God can use that to bring them to him. C.S. Lewis said once that friendship and community start when somebody says, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. Imagine how many lives can be changed. Now, we, we stepped into chapter two, and I'm not gonna stay a long time in chapter two, but this is the part everybody knows. So keep reading with me. Chapter one, verse 17, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers over your, uh, sorry, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. Here's what's interesting. I always thought for years that Jonah, the, the whale or the fish or whatever you want to call it, whatever you were raised with, that that fish was a punishment. But Jonah doesn't see the fish as the punishment. The fish is something God sent to save him. 
How many of us need to hear that when we're in the middle of a fish, whether it's in our lives or in a situation, that God isn't trying to beat us to death and beat us into submission. He's trying to save us and give us what's best for us. Jonah is thankful the fish has rescued him. In fact, Jonah knows that everything, and this is what we need to remember about God's discipline, that even when God deeply corrects, he never stops protecting us. Jonah even says, the sailors didn't throw me off the ship, you did. The fish didn't just come up and grab me, you sent him. God, you're in control of all of these things. and You've never stopped protecting me. In fact, how many of us in this world, I have a six-month-old son and he's wonderful, but I'm starting to understand what I've always known to be true. How many of us believe that we could change the lives of some kids at Walmart if we could just backhand them? I'm telling you, I got the tort. I got the power. I got the knuckles. I feel like I could bring some kids to Jesus in that checkout line, right? You know it. I got, somebody said, preach amen, all right? So, I could do it. I feel like I could do it. Here's the problem. I'd be in jail right now, not in Rosemont, if I went around slapping every kid I thought needed it. And as a kid, my mom would say, I mean, she'd always give me the line, well, I'm not going to worry about those kids because they're not mine. And I'd say, okay. She goes, but I am going to whip you because you're my child. (laughs) And I lived with a behind that was fire engine red my entire life because it was, and when I was too old for spankings, I never went out. I was a shut-in. I was like a monk, Right. But here's what I understood and what I began to realize here is what Hebrews 12, five through seven tells us that God doesn't view you in any other way than a child if he disciplines you. In fact, rather than saying, God, why would you do this to me? This is unpleasant. We need to realize that God is saying exactly what my mother said to me. I love you too much. I don't know them. They'll do whatever. But you, I'm gonna bring you back. I love you too much. You're my child. It is a sign that I love you. I want to bring you back. Students, when you mess up, parents, when you mess up, and your parents do mess up, FYI, and God disciplines that. It is because he loves you, and it is evidence that he is your father. Are you with me? Now, in verse 3, we figure this out, and this is our last point for chapter two, that our circumstances are never out of God's control. Jonah admits that it was God that took care of him, that God that's causing it. It's all about this. But here's the problem with Jonah and what we can't go into today is that we took Jonah's prayer of what I call behavior modification. Jonah is all about changing what he is from the outside to fix it on the inside. Anybody guilty of that? I am, right? And so if I could just make myself look okay, I'll be great. But then we looked at another prayer and we said on the other side of the call, and we looked at David in Psalm 51, who prays a prayer of repentance in the same type of sinful situation. And we noticed that Jonah's whole prayer is about one person, me. He compares himself to how awful everybody else is and that he'll be so much better. He tells God he's gonna repay him. He tells God, I'm gonna make this work and make it better. And he admits that God is super powerful and he ends his prayer. Do you know how many times he says, I'm sorry? Zero. Do you know how many times he repents? Zero. And then we look at David and David says, God, I'm the problem. It's my fault and by your grace, let me help lead others to you through my sin. God, it is me and me alone. Please bring joy of my, the joy of my salvation back to me. David repents because repentance starts in us and works its way out of us. Jonah is trying to just change enough so that he looks okay, but he is broken on the inside and unwilling to yield. Now, God is still using him. God is still taking care of Jonah, piece by piece, moment by moment. And then, God, as only God can do, because there was no Axe body spray at this point, as we all are aware there is now, but there was none. 
And so this whale pukes Jonah up onto the beach. Let's just imagine the nastiness of that moment. Jonah is covered in seaweed. God doesn't go, go take a shower and then go. No. It says in verse three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I need you to understand, not only is this the first time he's gone to Nineveh or gone to a place like this, this is the first and only time in all of prophetic history that God gave a prophet a second chance and the word of the Lord came to him a second time. God is showing grace upon grace upon grace to him the same way that he does to us. Are you with me? So it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and preach a message that I tell you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Making it matter in chapter three, we said a few things that making it matter means remembering a few different things. The first one, God cares more about who you're becoming than what you have done. Parents and students, I need to ask you this. You, neither you nor your child are slaves to your past. Your children should never be slaves to their brokenness. They need to grow past it. You are not slaves to the brokenness that people have held you to. You can grow past that. God is not concerned with the brokenness you have shown. He wants a better future for you and cares about who you are becoming. So often in religious worlds like Jonah, we spend our time comparing and running other people down and trying to just not be as bad as that person rather than being who Jesus called us to be. Forget that if Jesus came into most churches, we probably wouldn't want him because he hung out with people we probably would never want to be around because their past and their present did not define them, but only the future God desired for them. Jonah is showing us this step by step and God is showing us through his word. Here's the next thing that we told students in verses one and two, your second chance is about more than you alone. I said just you accidentally. I think just is a dirty word. There is no just. It's not just you, but it's about you alone. You are matter to God, but think about it. There are 120,000 people who will be wiped off the earth for their wickedness that God needs Jonah to repent and go after them. And my question is, do you view repentance and change and obedience that way? God wants more than, than only you to see your change. God wants to change others through your obedience, just like the sailors. But most of the time we try and hide the correction of God because we're afraid. And God says, open it up and show the world who I am so that I can save more than you alone. Our job is not only to know God, but to make him known. And Jonah is this example. Here's the next thing. It says, now, Nineveh was an extremely great city. It means it was huge. It was a three days walk from beginning to end. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. In English, that's seven words. In Hebrew, it was five. He said five words. And can I just be frank with you? I think at this point, I don't think Jonah would have said more than five words. Jonah's been eaten and puked up by a whale. This is clearly not a guy who's like following the directions to the T. He's like the D's get degrees guy when it comes to obedience. So what I'm saying here is that God gave him five words to make an impact. And so we start to figure out this idea that your power is always found in God's word, never your performance. 
It's not about how you perform. It's not, I'm telling you as a pastor, you, you hear it maybe in your life occasionally. As a pastor, I hear it every day. I just don't know enough. I just don't know if I can say the right thing. You think I can say the right thing? Have you met me on stage? I mean, I don't know. I just need God to speak through me. And he can do more in five words than you can do in a hundred lifetimes of doing it on your own. And I would tell you that it is scary and it is nervous and it's putting ourselves out there, but you will never regret obediently speaking and tripping over your words or saying something you weren't sure was quite right as long as you did it in obedience because God wants to use it. And can I also tell you how many of you know that five or 10 words can make a galaxy's difference in your kid's life? Not a hemisphere, not a planet. How many how often are you telling your kids you're proud of them? How often do you hear that people are proud of you? How many people need to hear you love them? How many of your kids or your parents need to hear, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. There's a lot of power in just five words if it's done with the obedience to God. Oswald Chambers said about the gospel that if in preaching the gospel you substitute your knowledge of the way of salvation for confidence and power of the gospel, you will hinder people from getting to the reality. It's a beautiful truth that the more you step out of the way, the more God can work. Parents, don't let your pretense and don't let your fear of your kids seeing that you're human keep you from apologizing, from cheering them on, from doing the right thing rather than the popular or the easy thing. Kids, I'm telling you, students, you're not kids, you're students. The best thing I can tell you in life from the, the short 33 years I've been in existence and the 20 years I've been in the church and doing ministry, I'll tell you this right now. I have never, ever, ever regretted being obedient to Jesus. I've never regretted being honest when I spoke. And there's never been a moment that my parents didn't look at me and tell me that they loved me, that they were proud of me, or that told me that I was wrong, but they still cared, or that told me my past didn't make a difference, whatever it was, there's never been a moment that in love, when I was told something, even small things, that it did not make an asteroid crater's difference in my life. May we be people of Colossians 4, 6 that are marked by grace and truth and may our words be like salt that draws up thirst and preserves life. This is the God that we serve, not a God you perform for, a God that empowers you through his word. Are you with me? Come on, let's keep going. Why? Here is why in chapter four, we talk about a couple things and this is where we ended at. This is why your focus determines making it matter. And may I just quickly say the hardest thing to swallow here in verse 10, it says that everyone in Nineveh repented and here's what we figure out that Jonah didn't get. God desires salvation for every person, not just the people you like. It's getting a little hot on stage, me talking. God cares more about people that you dislike than you ever thought. Do you want the best for even those that you struggle to hate? Because God does. He wants the best for those you can't get along with and the best for those you love dearly because we're all broken and need him. So here's why our focus determines making it matter. Surely at this point, Jonah, surely at this point, Jonah's made it. Surely he gets it. Well, it says in Jonah chapter four that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew you are a gracious God, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and who relents from sending disaster. 
And now the Lord, sorry, and now Lord, take from me my life for it is better to die than to live. What a whiner. Just, I'm just throwing it out there. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And then God appointed a plant and it grew over him to Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Can we just take a moment for the sadistic nature of this? Jonah is not only angry. Jonah has built an area, a chair, a booth, a cover to sit east of the city and go, let's let this thing burn. What a horrible human being. Like he's just like, all right, God, let's fry this thing. Let's move on. I want to watch it. Jonah is so embittered with his own religious understanding of who God is that he cannot even recognize and celebrate with the people that God has led him to serve and to share his truth with. He won't even be excited. He just wants to watch him wiped off the face of the map. Now, you can't tell me there aren't some people in here that you would do that with. It's a struggle for me. I'm preaching out of my own weakness here. I got some booths I've set up, and I need to tear them down. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so, but, but aren't we all there? He wants to see them wiped out. And here's why, here's why focus determines making it matter, that we can choose to be blind to what matters, even if God does incredible things through us. This is scary. The truth of the matter is, if you've read much scripture, you'll know, God can speak through a donkey. I just don't want to be the donkey. How many of us in our lives are going to choose to be the donkey rather than the prophet that hears? Jonah is a donkey. God has used him to bring about the greatest revival in the history of his people. He has given him a chance to come back that no one ever has gotten. And he has called him for the first time to ever go out of Israel to bring about repentance in Assyria. And he goes to do it and he cannot see or enjoy or rest in the depth of what God has done because he is so embittered to keep control. And we start to figure out that if we're not careful, we can choose to be blind to what matters to God, even if we're used. God is going to make his work matter. The question is, will it matter to you? Now, it continues. Now, I keep hoping Jonah's gonna make a turn. I hope in vain. Um, but when we focus on our comfort, it will leave us miserable without joy and purpose. So he is comfortable with the plan and God's teaching him an object lesson. Here's where we end it. And verse seven of chapter four, it says, when dawn came the next day, Jonah has camped out here. This was not just a, a, a matinee. This is like an all night thing. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and wanted to die. And he said, it is better for me to die. Whiner. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry at the plant? I mean, Jonah is, is hamming this thing up at a big melodramatic era. And God says, is it okay for you to be angry about this plant? And Jonah's response is, yes, it's right, exclamation mark. I'm angry enough to die. What words to God. And so the Lord said, you cared about a plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. 
But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right hand from their left, as well as many animals. And Jonah teaches us one of the most sobering things that we can learn is that when we only focus on ourselves, it leads to valuing our plans over people. Please hear me. Don't sacrifice the people that God has placed around you for the plans that you want inside of you. God tells Jonah, you enjoy the labor, or you enjoy my labor and the things I give you, and yet you ask me to destroy something infinitely more important. And Jonah says, yeah, for me, yes. Jonah put his plans above his people. Some of us need to have God rock our plans and our schedules and make us more faithful to be him. I pray that he does that to you and to me. He doesn't let us choose our own plans over that. God was, God cared. And here's what I think is interesting. It ends with him talking about cattle. Why? Well, because God doesn't just, you're not just a, a soul to harvest for God. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And God doesn't just care about your soul. God cares about your well-being. He cares about your life. He cares about a pandemic in the world. He cares about the ramifications of things in our lives. He cares about our well-being and, and if we're able to eat and live and be okay. God says, Jonah, I care about 120,000 people and all of the things that they own in their livelihoods. God cares about your family. God cares about what's important to you. It doesn't always mean that it is important to him in the long run, but it means that because it's important to you, he cares about what you care about. It's a kind of amazing thing, isn't it? That a God who created galaxies and stars, that a God who, who controls the weather, who chased you down, doesn't just look at you as an object to fix, but he looks at you as a person with, with free will and with passions and cares, and he loves you, and he cares about what's important to you. C.S. Lewis said very well at one point that, that one of the greatest things we can do is pray to God about things we don't think matter to him because then it helps us understand his character and the fact that he cares for who we are. When Jonah would see Nineveh wiped out and burned, God says, I care about them and everything they have. So we end up seeing that forcing our vision over God's command will always leave me frustrated and that fighting for control of our lives, it keeps us from experiencing God's rest. The truth of Jonah is that God's grace, it's never failing. God's voice it's always calling. His mercy is never ending and his call to repentance never ends either. And so as we ended out last night, I just want you to see something beautiful. I told you this works on levels that we didn't even get to get into, but here's what I love. Did you realize that Jonah is a type of Jesus who would come? In fact, Jesus is the better Jonah in every moment. It's interesting to me that all of the Bible, I know this because I know you've got great pastors and so I'm teaching to people that already know, but the whole Bible is about Jesus. And Jesus, what was Jesus? He was the one who would come to the Gentiles and not run from them, but would come to save them. He was the better Jonah. Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the tomb before he rose to give us new life. Unlike Jonah who spent three days and three nights in the whale because he was a whiner. Jesus is the better Jonah. Whereas Jonah went under God's uh, compulsion, as Jonah went angry being drug along on a leash, Jesus willingly sacrificed who he was to save us in our most broken. And at the very end of it, I wondered and it bothered me for so long, why in the world would God leave this undone? 
Why don't I know what happened to Jonah? At, why don't I know what the elder brother did to the younger brother and the prodigal? Why? Because I realized that just as Jesus is the better Jonah, God is telling us and asking us to be better than Jonah as well. He leaves it open-ended so that we don't know, so that we understand that God is saying, don't be this way. You have a choice to be more, to make what matters to me matter to you. You realize that if we would make our lives about what matters to God, that is absolutely the best thing for us. I told our students, I don't take toasters into the bathtub. Do you know why? Because toasters weren't made to work in a bathtub. Somebody did it. It's on the warning label. But would not the maker of the toaster know what is best for the toaster? And so would not God know what is best for you? Most of us are trying to make toast in a bath. And God's saying, I've got better for you, so follow me. This is the call of Jonah. This is how it ties into the gospel. And as God calls us to be people of repentance and people of surrender and people who make what is important to him to walk along the path that God has laid for us. Now, I want to end uh, the service a little bit differently than what we normally would do. Is that okay? Are you with me? Well, I guess it's okay. <laughs> um, John, is, is Adam with us this service? Where, where's Adam at? Adam, could you come down here? Will you and Kristen come up here? I told John I was going to do something a little special. I appreciate Adam's trust. Um, Kristen, will you just walk with John? You don't have to say anything, I promise. <laughs> I get... I get the chance to not only be a pastor and to share wounds with y'all and to be in the, in the ditches with y'all and, and to work, um, but we spend our time just loving and encouraging pastors wherever we can. And I, here's what I know, what I know of you, what I know from you. Um, these guys and this lady and your wife as well love you all dearly. I mean, there, there is such a burden that pastors carry and they do it willingly and they do it without any asking for help often. And so what I want us to do as we end out what we're doing, to, what matters to God is that we are people that share burdens with one another, that we are people that love. You guys have a great support system here of people that care about you. The host homes, the, the people that open their homes alone are just our warriors. <laughs> I mean, praise Jesus that you did that. But here's what I want us to do to end out this service. W would you all just stand with me? And I just want us to lay hands on uh, both of these pastors up here and the wife who, who, and the wives that bear so much of the burden with you. And so can you just walk, and if you can't all touch them, but just put your arm on the shoulder of the person behind you. So students, come on. Come on, walk over here. Come on, there it is. You just work out into the aisle. I want you to put your hands and let guys stand together here. And I just want you to put your hands on their shoulders. Adults, I got you in the back. Come on, move forward. Put your hands on them. Help me out here. That's right. Now, if you're not able to get out front and put your hands, I want you to, to hold your hand out. And here's what I want us to do. We talk about making it matter. We talk about what this looks like. It looks like us loving and sharing the burden with each other. For us and for, for Adam and for John, I just am blown away at the love they have for y'all, at the care they have, at the late nights that they spend the people, the emergencies that they take care of. I get to pray for you all when you don't even know it and pray for them as they help be who God has called them to be. And so what I want us to do for a minute 
rather than an invitation. I want us to talk if there's an issue. I want you to be able to pray with Adam and John after service. But I just wanted to be able to flip the script for a minute and let us pray over them because they deserve it and they need it. The enemy is always coming after those who would make a difference and a change for him. And these guys do so well to guard their families. And I know you do well with them, but can we, can we all, are we okay to just pray for them? Are you with me? So here's what I want you to do. With, I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray. So just if you can drop a hand on his shoulder, it's okay. I know it smells like ash. Just move on. Um, but I want you to, to begin to pray over Adam's family and John's family right now. I want you to pray for God's protection. I want you to pray for provision. I want you to pray for rest. I want you to pray for all the pastors on your staff. But, but these gentlemen give so much of their lives to fo- fulfill a calling they would never let go of, that they want deeply. But man, it's hard. And they need some love and encouragement. So uh, as you bow your heads with me, and as you begin to pray, if you feel comfortable with it too, pray out loud. Let them hear the voice of prayer around them, praying for them. Let them be encouraged by it. But I'm gonna let us pray for 10 or 20 seconds. And then I'm gonna close us out. But they need this, not just today, not this on this weekend. They need it every day. I need it every day. So let's begin or continue to do it now. So just start praying for them. And I'll jump in when I feel led. Let's pray for both of these men and their families. Come on, let them hear it. thank you for for the Olivers. We thank you for the camps. God, we thank you for the pastors and the church leaders, for the volunteers, for those in this room that are sharing in the work that you've given them. God, what a work that you did even in this week alone. And yet I get to be encouraged and hear the work that is happening weekly. But Father, we know that shepherds, they got a lot of sheep to take care of, that it is a difficult and hard road. It's difficult just to keep track and to make sure. And so Father, we pray right now for provision for their families for rest and sabbath when they want so desperately to keep following god i pray for protection from the enemy protection from those the enemy would influence god i pray for wisdom in situations lord we are all short on wisdom and all in need of your spirit god i pray that you would watch over their lovely wives and their families 
that do so much more than anybody knows to buttress them, to take care of them, to hold them up so that they can love and minister to others. God, often they take a cut so that everybody else can, can be a part of the ministry and be loved. And so, Father, I pray an extra helping of grace on them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I know that everybody knows that they are blessed, but I pray they would see just how blessed they are to have a church that loves them deeply, who is secure in who they are and is secure in who you are calling them to be. So, Lord, we pray great blessings on Rosemont. I pray for blessings in these students for fruit from this weekend, not to stop here, but to continue. And, God, I pray you would continue the work in families and believers and all of those in this church. God, what a wonderful place that loves you and that is doing their best to reach LaGrange for you. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for these two families and all that they do for these students who have come and for everyone in this church. Lord, be with us as we worship now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.